thank you all so much for being on my podcast. <laughs> it is exciting, very exciting to have you on here. I am truly blessed to know you and have you in my life. So thank you. And I'm equally excited to be talking about somebody who I have been passionate about for so many years who I never even got the opportunity to meet, but definitely made an impact in my career choice and in my work in Alzheimer's. And that is Dr. Jean Cohen. So Dr. is considered in geriatric psychiatry. He was the first director of the Center on Aging, Health and Humanities at George Washington University, where he also served as a professor. He served as acting director of the National Institute on Aging at the NIH and served as a past president for the Gerontological Society of America. Dr. Cohen served as the first chief of the Center on Aging of the National Institute of Mental Health, which was the first federal center on mental health and aging established by any country. He was the founding director at the Washington, D.C. Center on Aging, was a featured guest on many of the major news channels, and appeared in a series of public service messages on aging with George Burns, Steve Allen. He invented four intergenerational board games, one that was selected by an international art jury for a three-year museum tour. His extensive publications and research in aging and dementia care were groundbreaking, and they helped pave the way on how the elderly were viewed, creating a needed systemic change, and he influenced many physicians and other healthcare providers. His work is often referred to and his legacy remains strong and steadfast. Dr. Cohen passed away in, in 2009 from cancer and his brilliant and very talented wife, Dr. Wendy Miller, continues to carry his legacy and she is an instrumental force in her own right in art therapy and mental health to introduce then next Dr. Wendy Miller, who is an artist and an art therapist and specializes in an array of mental health services. He co-founded the Create Therapy Institute in Maryland, which offers clinical services and arts-based and training and experiential approaches to learning. She is taught at JFK University, San Francisco State University, George Washington University, among many others. She is a founding member and first elected now past executive Expressive Arts Therapy Association, where she continues to be on their advisory council. She is also on the advisory board of Maine's General Healthy Living Resource Center and Thriving for Life Foundation. Miller and Dr. Cohen worked on their last book together, Sky Above Clouds, Finding Our Way Through Creativity, Aging, and Illness. And after talking with Dr. Miller on her experiences in life and the interfacing mind, Dr. Cohen, we'll move into next Berna Hubner, who's on here. And Berna is the founder of the Hill Ghost Foundation in Chicago. It supports and encourages artistic creation with people who have different forms of dementia, including Alzheimer's. She is also the co-director of the award-winning documentary I remember better when I paint that examines the positive impact on art for people living with Alzheimer's and was I she it was also narrated by the late Livia de Havilland who currently recently passed away at the age of 100 film shows how the creative arts can help those living with Alzheimer's re-engage with life and Berna has served 
on what used to be the Boston University School of Medicine's Alzheimer's Board. And she was the director of the Center for the Study of International Communications in Paris. She was also the former research director for Nelson Rockefeller when he was governor of New York and then vice president. And Verna is also going to talk about her work with Dr. Gene Cohen and his instrumental affairs in her film. And then we have Dr. Marka Gronin, who I'm a very, very excited to have on here as well. Gronin is a board-certified adult and geriatric psychiatrist who serves as the senior vice president at Miami Jewish Health, which happens to be the state of Florida's largest not-for-profit long-term care provider. He is also involved in Alzheimer's disease clinical research trials and is the author of many books, along with the acclaimed book, How We Age, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Growing Old, and its recent sequel, The End of Old Age, Living a Longer, More Purposeful Life. He's also affiliate associate professor of psychiatry and neurology at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. <laughs> School of Medicine. He completed his residency training in adult psychiatry at Harvard University's McLean Hospital and then a geriatric psychiatry fellowship at the Minneapolis VA Medical Center. And it is such an honor and a blessing to have all of you on this program. And I can't wait to talk about the work that you do, the influences you have, and how Gene Cohen impacts. So, with that, I'd like to start with Wendy. So, Wendy, how, how did you first meet Jean? Well, it's so interesting, um, Angel, having you go through this kind of history of each of us, because a lot of what you mentioned about Jean, um, she was at the public health service at NIMH and then NIH from 1972 to 1993. And I didn't meet Jean until 1993. So. I literally came into his life as he was leaving a 20-year, um, you know, history of being at um, at NIH, and he'd received he'd written his first book, he'd written zillions of articles, he, you know, he won the Distinguished Service Medal at, at the Public Health Service. So in many ways, he was a a medical person who was moving more toward what he's known for, his potential. And as he always says, the ultimate manifestation of potential is creativity. So he was moving toward creativity. And I come along and I have moved to the DC area from San Francisco, where I've been very involved in the <clears throat> women's art movement and the peace art movement. And so I was very much an artist and an art therapist um, who had just finished her doctorate in health psychology and was studying psychoneuroimmunology and was moving more and more toward medicine. So in many ways, I feel like we were, you know, a marriage made in heaven kind of thing. You know, art therapy is certainly one of the marriages between creativity and medicine. And I feel like Jude was moving in one direction and I was moving in the other, and yet we met you know, at the, at the common ground, if you want, or the crossroads. So what, on a personal track, I mean, he's a brilliant mind. He was definitely interested in the creative arts. Was there, what, you know, what, what other types of factors drew you together? What was, what was that kind of spark between you both that just drew that moment? 
Well, it's great that you asked that. <clears throat> in the in the book Sky Above Clouds, I talk about our our meeting and how he was a um, he loved cribbage, and um, and I love cribbage, and it was just kind of one of those bizarre. You know, our second date, he had just gotten a, a patent for a game that is 350 years old. And I had just had a dream from a childhood boyfriend. And both of these were all about cribbage. And it was kind of like, you know, I sat and I was looking across the table at him. And I had met him at a through a friend. And we'd gone to a museum together. And I thought he was really smart. But I just kind of kept thinking, well, you know, he's a psychiatrist. He's kind of straight. And I'm kind of artsy. And all of a sudden, this whole cribbage connection was like a psychic connection. And I just sort of started looking at him, like really looking at him and thinking, oh, wait a minute. You know, he's not just a smart guy. He's a really interesting guy. So the spark, you know, you never can quite say how it happens. But that's how it happened. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. What, can you tell me what, um, I mean, because he was so prolific and so, you know, and, you know, many different people, even like myself who never knew him, but knew of his work and was like, oh my gosh, I have to know this person. And in fact, I was so excited because I was writing a, a pretty large grant for the Carter and Burden Center for the Aging in Manhattan for a program called Making Art Work that's still ongoing. And we were actually in line to have a conference call with him. Huh. I'm going to get, I was so excited taking the transit into Manhattan and was just so like, finally get to talk to one of like my heroes. And then we had gotten the news that he was ill. And then I found out not too long after that he had passed and it was just like so devastating. And then ironically, you and I get introduced by a mutual friend not too right. that and it was just like wow you know this is just it was just this amazing thing but you know so somebody like me that was just you know interested in his work but didn't know him what got him interested in the aging do you do you know why why did he take such an interest in the geriatric because so many people especially during that time didn't care right right well Mark, I'm, I'm smiling because you and I have done so many presentations and I know those gorgeous slides that you have of <clears throat> this history of genes. Um, so maybe you'll say something too. But I mean, in a nutshell, he, he two things come to mind. One, <clears throat> he did a, a study at Woods Hole when he was, you know, a, a teenager in which he used this special saw and he, he cut into a, a, a fish bone. And you could buy the rings on it or something, you could tell its age. And that's what interested him. I mean, as a teenager, he was interested in research, wanted to be a scientist, and he was interested in, in the aging process. Then he, you know, he ends up at, in the public health service at NIMH, and he literally proposes to, um, um, Bertram Brown, who um, was there at that time, and he proposes to him that, you know, you have all of these institutes, NIH is filled with Institute of Cancer, Institute of Diabetes, you know, all of these various things. And Gene said, you know, I don't really understand how you can study these if you don't understand the natural process of aging. In other words, he already understood that so much of what is 
studied in older people is the overlay of illness with a natural developmental process. And so he proposed that you have an institute of aging so that you can find out things about the natural process of aging. Mm. So I think that's really kind of, in a nutshell, it's very much the way that he thought. He was always pulling things apart. He was very much a scientist and he was totally interested in how memory works and how neurology affects our brains and our capacities. But I personally think his most significant contributions, and that's, I think, why all, you know, Mark and Berna and you, Angel, you know, got to know him is that he was, he, his significant contributions were in public perception. He wanted to redefine that, that cultural environment of dementia and memory loss and, and aging. And he wanted to create a paradigm shift so that people would look at aging, not just as a time of decline, but also as one of potential. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, you know, he did, he just did his research and he did so much. What was, um, what defined his interest in important for international to get involved? And his, in, you know, he came up with these board games and he started getting kind of more youth and family together. What was the inspiration behind that? Well, I think that question really goes with uh, when he left NIH, he did three things all at once. I mean, well, he retired, number one. But number two, he started the um, Center for Aging, Health, and Humanities. So mind you, the word humanities is really important there. Like, there were lots of centers on aging, lots of things on health, putting together psychiatry and aging, but really being committed to the humanities and understanding that kind of like what I'm telling you about what he did at NIH. It's, it's the equivalent. You know, he felt that it was really important that you understood things from the perspective of fairy tales and, and folk tales and imagery and stories. And that then translates into pretty much everything he did. I mean, at the same time, he started his game company. So I'm telling you, he did three things. He started the center on aging, health, and humanities. He started his own think tank called the DC Center on Aging, and he started Genco Games. So in essence, he had a for-profit, a not-for-profit, and a, and a university position. So he kind of covered himself. I mean, I think if you worked for the government for 20 years, you know, he, he, he knew all the, the loopholes and all the things that were gonna come his way. Mm-hmm. And to be more specific about the game, I mean, the game really is a culmination of many, many things that Gene did. He was always looking at how you not just study, but how you access the dignity of the whole person. And so when his own father came down with Alzheimer's and he went to visit him in the hospital and they were putting him on medicine and he was getting disoriented, Gene said, "Let can, we, can, we, can you just leave him with me? And he played cribbage with him, which was an old game they had always played. And in that process, he saw all of the handicaps in the game that needed to be changed. changed. And the same thing happened as, as his father's memory was lost. Fewer people would talk to him, fewer people understood what an amazing man he was. And so 
Gene started making what he called PR bios, therapeutic restorative bios, where he would literally sit in front of the computer with you know, pictures and he'd move the picture. His father had been in the Navy. He sort of moved the picture so it looked like he was sailing. And mm. his TR bios eventually became making memories together. In other words, he was looking for how you can communicate with someone through imagination and through connection. Very much what I'm sure we're going to talk about when Verna talks about her film and when Mark talks about the people that he worked with. Yes, and the board game is called Making Memories Together. Mm -hmm. Is the board game still available? If somebody, if there's a listener out here who's looking at that, is that still, that is an, is that an option for them to-, to It is an option. And it's wonderful that you asked. It used to be something that people ordered through me, through genco-games.com, which is still a website where people can see it. But we have donated all of the Making Memories Together games to a group called Assisting Hands. And their website is assistinghands.com slash Potomac. And they will gift the games to various, um, you know, nursing homes and centers and help you personalize it, which is what it needs. So I'm very excited about that because for a long time they were sitting in my my shed being distributed by me, you know, one at a time, which didn't seem wow. like the right thing to do. That's awesome. So how did got older? Did you know and from the time period that you knew him and his work in aging as he got older and he, you know, he got sick. Did it change him and his views on himself and, and his own aging process and illness? It definitely did. And it changed him in ways that are exactly what all of his work is about and why we all are so you know, respectful of who he was. I mean, he really, he, he was diagnosed with metastatic um, prostate cancer in 1996. Our daughter was a year and a half old. So our entire marriage, the next like 17 years or 15 years, was when he produced his games, The Creative Age, The Mature Mind, we were working on Sky Above Clouds. I mean, he literally was a walking example of what he talks about. It's never too late, even in the face of obstacles, to enjoy a fuller experience of your human potential. I mean, from the time he was diagnosed, he he used to call them dark dip moods. You know, you get that thing that happens when you're afraid that your life is going to end. But he'd lift himself up and he'd just say, okay, and he had certain rules. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to provide enthusiasm for other people. I'm not going to work I'm not going to have a huge staff. I'm not going to manage a huge staff. And I'm only going to work on things that feed my creative soul. And he did that. And then 10 years into doing that, that's when we thought, you know, we're doing something right because he'd outlived his prognosis. And we just thought maybe there's something here that can help other people. And so we started to write together the book that became Sky Above Clouds, which I think it's you, Mark, who said it's both a manual and a memoir, and I, I think that's a good description of it. It is both of those things. And um, I think he really, it's shocking. I think most people don't realize it when they read him. They think that he's 
you know, maybe because he only lived to be 65, he didn't really know what aging really was, which is so ridiculous to me because man, you know, lived under the sword of Damocles of a huge, you know, diagnosis from age 49 all the way until he died. And, and he produced in that time period every, I mean, a huge amount of work. And the book is beautiful for those who aren't aware. It is called Sky Above Clouds and it is available. And it's just a beautiful book on illness and perseverance, but also creativity and grief. And yeah. You know, Wendy, you being an art therapist have some amazing things in there for families and people that resonate too on a deeper level on the, the empowerment of creativity and inner soul searching. So. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And I, I want to just say right now that um, I chose to launch the book in 2016 with Marka Gronin at the American Association of Geriatric Psychiatry because it was um, an organization dear to Gene's heart. He had been one of the founding psychiatrists and he was their first editor-in-chief for he he did editorials. He edited the journal and wrote beautiful editorials for an entire decade, all of which do just what I said. They, you know, they talk about Scrooge as a story of depression or, you know, the old woman in the shoe or, you know, fairy tales and really who he was, which was take important scientific concepts and put them in a really good um language of humanity so that they stick for people. Right. right. And Vernon, and I had the privilege of actually watching, we got to hear you and Mark um, talking about this at the conference in DC. That was um, just, it's very profound. And thank you for your thank insight. You. Just thank you for everything and your, and your work and continuing on. And Verna, and you know, as, as I was saying, when Verna and I got to be together in the conference, I'd like to lead into now talking with a little bit with Verna about, you know, Verna, how did how did you meet Gene, and how did he become a part of your film? Well, I first met Gene. Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you, Angel, for including me and Wendy and Mark on this panel. We're, we're honored to be here. Um, I first met Jean at a conference when I first started learning about art and Alzheimer's. It was in Newark, and it was probably in 2008, I would say. But you can see why Jean was someone we all loved and respected so much. And we were just, um, I was just so taken with his presentation at this conference that I went to that I knew that I wanted to see him and meet him again. And when we did, we asked him if he could help with our film. I remember better when I paint, and he was so helpful. And the, the film was edited in Paris, and many of the filming was actually done in Paris and other parts of Europe and the United States. But we would call Jean from Paris many, many times and ask him our very, very important questions. And Jean always had the perfect answer. And we had many questions and many calls. And he was always there for us. So as you can see, Jean was an important part of our film. 
which is now on public television and on Amazon. And in the film, there are various bonus episodes. And one of our very favorite is the one about Gene Cohen called Recreating Social Bonds, where he succeeded in renewing bonds of communication between people with Alzheimer's and their loved ones. And in this episode, he talked about the tools people might use, a video, a family, and then the game that we mentioned, making, me making memories together and activity relating to the family. And then in addition to the film, where he was our real guru and so important to us, he also has a chapter in our book. The book is also entitled, I Remember Better When I Paint. And his chapter, Creativity and Art in Promoting Health and Coping with Alzheimer's, is excellent. And I'm just going to quote a little bit from the book. It's just a sentence. But he, his very first section asks, does creativity engaging older adults in artistic activity offer any hope of improving their general and mental health and social activities? The answer appears to be yes, and it offers hope to many who seek to ameliorate the effects of Alzheimer's disease and many other memory disorders on their family members and, and or patients. The Creativity and Aging Study, which is very, very important, is the informal name of a multi-state national research project, the impact of professionally conducted cultural programs on public health, mental health, and social functioning of older adults. The study was conducted to explore how creative engagement on the part of older adults relates to their health. What was learned was that efforts at health, efforts at health promotion and prevention among older adults can only go so far when restricted, when restricted to targeting problems. Ultimately, promoting health with aging is perhaps best realized when potential is, is tapped through creative engagement while, while while problems are also addressed. This is a very, very important study. And um, and Wendy, of course, will attest to that. But we wanted to thank Jean for being such an important part of, of our whole project and um, making helping make it what what it is today, because it's um, it's it's an educational tool. And he was part of that whole an important part of that whole uh, project. So we all miss Jean Cohen. Thank you for sharing that. That was lovely. Mm. And I went, I just went to cure. I'm just out of curiosity. Did you, how did you met Jean or was that after? How did you meet? Wendy? Well, I, I met Wendy through Jean. Oh, okay. Right. Yes. <laughs> just kind of putting stuff together. Cause I'm realizing that, um, you know, depending on also what Mark has, um, you know, she, if he too met Wendy after Jean, it's like, you know, here, I didn't even know him, but it was his instrumental work. And then Vernigan's instrument, you know, his influences. And it's like, ultimately what led us to, to Wendy. Right. But, well, when I first met him, I just knew that if my project was going to happen, I wanted him to be part of it. And, and um, your film. Is yes. Yes. Too. And then, um, and then when I met Wendy, we just had so many things in common. We connected. Mm -hmm. And then of course I met Mark through you uh, when we did our program in Florida. Yeah, the film screening. And those, um, yeah, the, so the, the film is, it's, it's a beautiful blend. It, it's a really beautiful blend between featuring the importance of what is Alzheimer's. So it gives you a good background of the scientific aspect of what's happening in the disease process with very acclaimed people in the film 
scientists and doctors featuring it, as well as the importance of the holistic aspect art making and viewing of art does to the to the psyche. And I think it really shows the importance of how the arts and sciences need each other, especially in this disease. So I'm so glad that you have the film. I think it's incredibly instrumental and Jean's input is obviously just perfect. Thank you. Probably wouldn't be what it is today without that. Exactly. Thank you. So Mark, Dr. Mark Agronin. I, you know, I could probably spend a whole like two hours talking with you. How, um, how did you meet Jean and how, how was in your work? Well, thank you again, Angel, for being part of the program. And for me, it's such an honor to, to be with Wendy and Berna here and to hear them talk about their, their very, very important work and their recollections of Jean. Um, I knew about Gene for many years before I actually met him. Mm-hmm. Being a geriatric psychiatrist, it's hard not to know about mm-hmm. Gene. He's really the George Washington of our organization. But even more than that, he really is one of the uh, founding fathers of geriatric psychiatry as well. Um, and, and not just in the sense of bringing people together, but he, he really had a vision that went all the way back to his early work in geriatrics and his kindness and his caring for, for older people. He really had an eye for seeing beyond what most people saw with aging individuals. They focused on decline and decrepitude and dementia. Gene was really able to see the amazing individuals who are still there. And, um, There's a wonderful quote that I I often put in in my presentations, which is from The Mature Mind, and and it really describes Gene. I'm going to read this. It says, instead of what others warned would be the most depressing of patients, these elderly women and men proved to be among the most alert, attentive, and responsive, a satisfying kind of patient for a doctor who cares. And this is the description of when when Gene was... uh, I believe a resident in psychiatry when there had been a lot of deinstitutionalization of individuals who had been in state hospitals and Gene was assigned to work with them in a low income housing unit in Washington, DC. And he went in and again, seeing individuals that many had had sort of discarded in society. And he was able to, to see the absolute strengths and beauty and depth to these individuals. That's the type of person that he was. So for me, when I started writing about aging and working on a book, I knew I had to meet with him. And he was very, very uh, generous and and invited me over to uh, the home where he and Wendy were living. And literally, this is just sitting on his porch. I think this was back in around 2009, um, late summer. And I have to say that the person I was who walked onto that porch was not the same who walked off the porch. It just gave me a vision of, of aging and what it meant that I'd, I'd thought about, but I really didn't fully understand. Um, you know, when Gene talked about aging, he emphasized it's not just about surviving, it's about growing. And this really showed me how we need to look at strengths as much as, as doctors or clinicians, we focus on some of the difficulties people are having. Mm-hmm. He really talked about how 
being actively involved with individuals with life enhanced aging that there still was purpose and meaning for people as they got older that there's always potential and what was wonderful is he anchored this in science so for instance he said brain cells can always make new new connections this plasticity is what gives us this potential you know he talked about the maturing of our cognitive emotional skills he coined the term developmental intelligence we tend to think of developmental issues in children but he said these still continue later in life and he focused on creativity how this can even grow he always told the story about how he went to a, a museum uh, retrospective on many of, of the most famous folk artists and and saw how so many of them not only began their career later in life but they actually hit the peak of their abilities when they're there in their 80s and 90s he just had that vision he could to see these things to bring it to the the attention of other individuals and talk about the potential in fact he he developed a series of human potential phases that that we go through as we get older i don't think anyone in the field has really looked at this in the same way and had such a such a vision um and talked about the role that creativity plays in our lives not just in terms of art but in terms of relationships in terms of responding to adversity in terms of what we do in the community uh that that was a big focus of his book the creative age so to me it was really one of the most important uh encounters i had in my career it's not just left an impression but it really changed the course of what i think about what i work on and um you know i just hope over time more people will have the ability to develop that same mindset we need it so badly in our society today we need it for the way aging is changing and we need it during this pandemic when so many people are locked down at home but creativity and active engagement with them is able to really liberate them from just the confines of their homes absolutely thank you for that um how do you as a you know you're one of the rare breeds of physicians especially in geriatric because nobody wants to work in geriatric but then i'm just curious cuz you know gene really did he was a pioneer he was a founding father paved the way from his from his work what are some of the things that you see that have changed what are the, what are the good things that are happening now in today's society as a result of some of the influences and changes that did occur since his time you know what are the good things that are happening in aging right now i i think there's a a real sea change going on in terms of how people look at aging in part because obviously we're living longer healthier lifespans and so that enables us to to do more physically as we get older but there's a there's a growing sense across just about every field in the arts in in society and organizations that aging is not a barrier to doing what you want in life and that aging can enhance that mm-hmm. and th- this is becoming more of a trend over time and that's positive because it it allows people to have a much broader vision of what they can accomplish once they've retired or once they've passed middle age mm-hmm. and i think that will accelerate over time and i'm hoping that we can bring more of gene's wisdom to this area 
I would say the area in which it's really needed is working with people who have different forms of dementia, like Alzheimer's disease, because too often we really limit our expectations of them. We limit their opportunities. Mm -hmm. And yet, as Gene showed, whether it's through developing games or through so much of the research he did, that so much of a person's being, their soul, their creativity is still there and still able to be engaged and grow. And we need to understand that by, by engaging with that, we change the course of a person's uh, life at that point. Not just the course of, of what may be an illness, but the course of what they can do, what they enjoy. So the, his work, his thinking is so monumental to that. And there's so much work still to be done to promote that. So leading into the next question on areas that really need improvement still, um, what, what do you, I mean, what on and can make, you know, do, do, you know, make it better. What would you think is the most needed aspect in, in, in medicine? How, how do we continue to try to make things improved? What do you think are some of the answers to that? Well, I would look to what all of you are doing, Angel, the type of work you're doing, what Wendy's doing, what Berna has been doing. And just take an example of the arts. Um, the, the arts have a fundamental impact on, on everyone. There's no reason why it should not be integrated into education, into therapeutics. Uh, it's really transformative for individuals. Unfortunately, I think too often in medicine, there's a mindset that if you're not you know, cutting or giving someone a pill, that you're not really doing anything for them. It couldn't be further from the truth. We know that the hopes and expectations people have make a difference. When doctors learn to understand patients better, they develop more empathy and empathy can come through the arts. And this has a direct impact on interactions with patients and patients adherence to treatment. It all flows together. So that's just one area I'd focus on, but uh, it needs to, to have a greater emphasis uh, throughout everything that we do. Do you think it's more of a mindset of older physicians and their, and their, their kind of mentality of what they've been trained in? Because I, you know, I, I, there are some shifts happening. Like I had interviewed Dr. Daniel Potts, a neurologist who really emphasizes that we need to, as a neurologist, he feels that we should be training younger. We need to be training the younger generation and the younger residents and exposing them to this type of aspects. We really do. My concern is we're not doing that. And I, I speak as someone who has a son in medical school right now. So I see what they're learning, what they're being educated on. Uh, they're not learning about the arts as much as they could. They're not learning about empathy. Um, I, I think there's a lot of distractions now. I think social media becomes very distracting for individuals. The care takes place right at the bedside, eyeball to eyeball with the people you're working on to really spend time with them, to get to know them, to understand them. That's so important. And a lot of work needs to be done towards that end. And this is where I think Gene's work is, is so great. And think about when you work with someone in terms of art therapy, you know, it's a very intimate encounter with someone you really spend time right next to them working on that. And so much of what's taking place in the world and whatnot really melts away. And it's just, it's, it's an encounter with another human being. Um, if we're unable to teach that, then what happens is, um, you know, people fall back on just the road algorithms, which, which make a difference, which obviously are part of medicine, but it's just, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, so that's where I see a lot of work needs to be done. And, I, and unfortunately, I can't say that I really see that unfolding as much in, in medical school as possible. It's not just about teaching a class or a course on these topics. You have to really have role models and you have to bring it right into the, to the clinic to do that. I think it's important and good if people are passionate about that, if they're taking things out into the streets. But, but from the standpoint of medicine, it takes place in the clinic is the day-to-day working and interacting with people to really make a difference for them. And, and it's, that's a lot of work, it's dedication, but you have to have that mindset. If you don't see aging as something having potential, you're never going to take the extra steps to engage with someone over time to, to help them see a greater vision of what they can achieve. Exactly. One of the Dr. Potts called cognitive dynamics, bringing art to life. And we partnered with, I don't know, Rush University, Neelam Agarwal and um, Rush and the part of their to go through the virtual dementia tour to build up empathy and then they're actually they're part of their routine is a session with residents to get a feeling for their patient and what they're finding is that these residents are saying i feel i'm a more empathetic physician now i have they're feeling this connection so it's like we could take this program further but unfortunately it's it's not it's not anywhere near near where it needs to be it's a really good idea i i would i would have res- have students play genes games with older people. Mm. I mean, that, the, that there couldn't be a better way to teach them about others to have to engage with them and develop and to develop empathy for them. Exactly. Well, I think I think that between all of what we do and our advocacy and the work, and I mean, Mark, the fact that you are a physician and you advocate, especially with your book. I mean, you have you know, age and the end of old age are just phenomenal. And those are available too for listeners. Um, can are, is that on Amazon or where can they? Where can people look at? I think Amazon would probably be the best. Okay. The easiest route to get. Okay, them. so they're amazing, and the fact that we have a physician, which I think that you, because of you know, and I hate to say this, but because you you do have a Harvard background, you do have a Yale background, and unfortunately, and fortunately. Physicians tend to see that kind of peer to peer, you know, like, oh, oh, Mark, he agreed. So maybe there is something to this. You know, they're going to take your word over somebody like me, you know, from that medical standpoint. It's what I, I typically find. Well, if that were the case, that would be nice. Although I have to say that I think your voice and Wendy's voice and Berna's are, are, are so important in general. I mean, when you have a, you know, a movie that can be on, on Amazon and accessible, it really makes a difference. And, um, you know, nowadays there's so many different avenues that people get information from are influenced and, and, uh, we know that all of those need to be activated to really get the messages out there. And, and I think there, there'll be even more opportunities in the future to really promote Gene's work over time. Absolutely. And, and, and the, you know, uh, the book that, that he and Wendy wrote is, is so beautiful and so important. And the more we can get that into the hands of budding physicians and other clinicians and therapists, I think it can do so much good in the world. 
It's it. It's advocacy. You know, it's demanding for better. And I think that we are better than what we are appearing to be. So, and we have so much to learn. I think that even I'm thinking of the late Fred Sheriff, who is a, you know, he's a psychiatrist from Johns Hopkins. And he would always refer to me as his master's level educator and clinician and fail to leave out. And he would say, I don't know about that stuff. It's clinical. And he, yes. he, would, he had the mindset of what you said. It's pill popping. It's research. It's this isn't a paintbrush and a headphones to listen to music. And that's not what this is. And when he got exposed to Alive Inside and he got exposed to Berna, he actually got to spend some time with you and Berna at the screening in Naples that we did. And I never thought I would see the day where after seven years of working with this man who finally just broke down and told me I have a new appreciation for your field. And he actually driving when we had patients in our office who fell, their scores were too low to be in a clinical trial and they would just sit in our office and, and, and cry. And he would tell them, you need to get your music and you need to get a paintbrush because there is nothing else better on the market right now than creativity and art. Yeah. And I never thought I would see the day that he would promote that. And it was, and it's because of people like you and people like Jean and, and late Oliver Sacks that really were instrumental in this. So I feel like we are knocking on doors. Unfortunately, it's probably going to continue to take a while, but I think that if, you know, that persistence can pay off. So I remain hopeful and it's because of people like you and people like Jean who paved that way that validated that I am in the right field. Cause I was questioning if I was in the, even in the right field, should I be working in art? Should I be working in Alzheimer's? Is, is this right? And it was actually finding Jean's work and Bruce Miller, hearing Bruce Miller speak at a conference in Stanford and his whole keynote address was on art therapy. And I realized there are physicians that actually give a damn and really embrace the arts as med as a form of medical treatment. So I just thank all of you for, and I thank you all for the work that you do. And um, I'd like to just add if anybody has any final thoughts that you'd like to add. Um, I just have a very quick thing to say. It's lovely to be here and I really appreciate everyone. And I love that you're doing this angel. And I just want to say that Hearing Mark and Berna and you, you know, um, res both respecting, reflecting on Gene and his work, is, it just deeply touches me in a personal way, you know, as well as in a professional way. And, you know, Mark saying that Gene had an eye for seeing beyond, I mean, I kind of feel like that sums it up and, and not just about Gene, but about what you're doing with this podcast and, and what we're talking about, about I remember better than when I paint and sky above clouds. I mean, all of it is really our quest to see beyond and to see the person inside the person, whether whether it seems like they're there or not, and to see beyond memory, to know that, you know, everyone has imagination and everyone has dignity. And I feel like your podcast is really doing that. And so I thank you for helping people see beyond. Thank and you. and I, I wanted to add, too, that I, I couldn't agree more with Wendy, and I wanted to quote something that our dear friend, who Mark Wartman, who was the former head of the Alzheimer's Disease International, wrote. He said, 
well, he was talking about all our projects, but he says it brings a real message of hope and is an important contribution to changing the way we look at Alzheimer's disease. And that's what we're all doing and that's what we want to continue to do. And we thank Jean for, pay, for start sharing the path and starting the whole path for us to follow. Yeah. I couldn't add anything even, I couldn't even add anything more. Those are just beautiful statements and really sum it up and uh, really speak so wonderfully to, to Jean's legacy and one that we have to continue to focus on and to grow. Absolutely. And Mark, I have one final question because I asked this of all my guests and I had interviewed Wendy and so they've already answered this question. So I'm going to just put that out there for you, for my listeners. One of the things I like to ask is what keeps you motivated and sparked in life? What keeps you going personally for yourself in your aging process? Well, that's a wonderful question. I, I think for me over time, I've really become a, uh, much more spiritual and, and religious over time. And I just have a very deep faith. And uh, that's really, at the end of the day, what, uh, what propels me. Because it's clear to me that you know, all of us are here for, for a purpose, uh, that aging occurs for reasons, and that the more we can see that under, and understand that and really look at the sanctity not only of our lives but the lives of everyone around us, Gene's message really shines through about how important it is uh, that we give so much to other people. We, we give people the care that they really need. So that, that gives me the, a purpose every day when I walk into work, especially during such a difficult time when we're dealing with uh, just extraordinary circumstances and illnesses and, and unfortunately losing people. We, we need a, a deeper adherence to our mission to keep going. Absolutely. Thank you. So with that, we can go ahead and adjourn. I just am incredibly grateful to all of you for who you are as a person and for all the work that you do and making a difference in this world. So thank you. Thank you, Jean. And I wish all of you a very happy rest of the weekend. And uh... Angel, thank you so yes, much. Yes, Angel, thank you. And thank you. Yes, thank you too, Mark and Wendy. This is wonderful. Just wonderful. Thank all of you. Yes. So, Bravo. God bless. <laughs> bye bye. 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 So this is into creative aging with with Dr. and lovely Berna Hubner. Thank you for listening. And as always,